If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to John chapter 4. And uh, in John chapter 4, it is a uh, story of an uh, unexpected uh, gospel conversation that Jesus had uh, with a Samaritan woman. We're in this series talking about unexpected Jesus as the places he shows up that are unexpected, things that he does that are unexpected. And today we want to look at an unexpected gospel conversation. And we want to look at what Jesus did at the same time, take that same thought and put it in with our own lives and to what our challenge would be for that. It's very interesting uh, at the very first few verses, first verses of this chapter is it says that the Pharisees were talking about how John the Baptist was baptizing a lot of folks and that Jesus and his disciples were baptizing a lot of folks and it was as if he was trying to put competition between those two, kind of like sometimes you see that in churches where people brag on how many they baptized or how, many they, how much money they gave or this or that. And it started way back here in the first century. And I love the way the message says that the message says the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms and they posted the score and Jesus was ahead. And so knowing that and that there was this rift, Jesus just said, hey, I'm going to head back up to Galilee and uh, we're not going to stay down over here in Judea. And so we're going to make our way to Galilee. And so as Jesus is making his way to Galilee, you've got to understand that if you took Israel and you just took it here, it's like 120 miles long. And in the extreme south is Judea. The extreme north is Galilee. And in the middle is Samaria. And so the best way to get to Galilee is to just go straight line and go through Samaria. But the problem is, is that the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. Because it's 720 B.C., the Assyrians came and they took over that northern kingdom, which is called Samaria. And uh, they took a number of Samaritans out and then they brought some foreigners in and for, excuse me, took a number of the Jews out and then they brought some foreigners in and the foreigners, uh, they then married with these Jewish people and all of a sudden, uh, their kids were not of the racial purity. They were not all Jewish. And so they get, had this name, Samaritan. And so the Jews, about 120 years later, were taken over by Babylon, and they took them over uh, to uh, they took them over to Babylon. But they remained pure; they didn't intermarry. And when they came back, probably around 450 or so uh, BC, when they came back to the land, they said, "Well, we kept ourselves pure in the race, and you guys did not." And so there was this animosity between the two. And so they've been battling this for over 400 years. And so some of them would kind of get all up in arms and say, well, I don't like Samaritans so much, I'm not even going to travel through their land. Now, if I traveled through their land, it would be three days. But if I decided not to, then I would get right to the edge of Samaria, cross over the Jordan River, go along the eastern side of the Jordan River, and then when I got to the north part, I'd cross back over the Jordan River, and then I would head up to Galilee. Probably add two to three days to my journey but in this passage of Scripture, you see when Jesus is ready to travel to Galilee, there was no question. He says, we had to go through Samaria. We're going to go straight through there. Now, he's got 12 followers with him. And my guess is some of them, all grown up as, as Jewish young men, probably had some problem on it. But they said, okay, we'll do this. We'll go there. We'll get in there, get out, try to get through there as quick as possible. And then we'll uh, end up in Galilee. And so, they're traveling and when you pick it up in verse 6, uh, verse 5, it says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, 12 o'clock noon. 
So he got tired. They'd been traveling a long time. They came to a place called Jacob's Well. And you look in the book of Genesis, Jacob dug this well. And uh, so it was right outside the city. And so Jesus just sat there and he was tired. And in verse 8, it says that he sent his disciples off to get some food. So he sent them into town to go get something to eat and then uh, probably bring him back something. And in the meantime, he would just sit there at the well. Now, it was interesting. I thought it was odd. And that he had 12 guys traveling with him, and all 12 went in town to get something to eat. Nobody stuck around with Jesus. I just thought that was an oddity. It seemed like at least one or two people would say, hey, I'll hang out with you over here. We'll send everybody else. Uh, it's not like Jesus eats so much it takes 12 guys to bring back takeout for him. So what is it? I just think God's setting him up for a God moment, and most likely he said, oh, no, you go ahead. Oh, you guys go. I'll be fine. Y'all go on ahead. And I think you're going to see why. Why it was just him there by himself, sitting by this well in a Samaritan's, outside of Samaritan city. And so while he's sitting out at this well, in verse 7, it says, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And uh, as this woman came to draw water, she runs into Jesus. And I thought about that song that we have, have talked a lot about, the shadow step. And in that song, one of the lines is, I found you waiting by the well, unexpected. I found you waiting by the well, unexpected. Yeah, because the Samaritan woman had no idea that on that day she would come face to face with a Jewish man that would be sitting at the well, much less enter into a conversation with him. And when she came to the well, Jesus says to her, give me a drink. He says, give me something to drink. Well, you know, during that day, what would happen is the women would have the responsibility of providing water for their families. And so early, usually in the morning or, uh, or kind of near sunset, they would get the pitchers, carry them out to the well, fill them up with water, and then carry that back to the, um, to the city. But this was noon, and no one really came at noon in the heat of the day. And the women didn't do that. They were early in the morning or uh, late in the afternoon, and it was sort of a gathering spot for them. It's, it's sort of like at work, the water cooler or the, or the coffee bar area, where people would get in and just have conversations. But she was there, and she was there by herself, which immediately that told you that she was a woman of pretty bad reputation, that none of the other women wanted to be with her. They didn't want to hang out with her. They didn't want to be a part of discussions with her. So she went by herself in the middle of the day when no one else would come there. And so Jesus, in an unexpected way, all of a sudden moves into an unexpected gospel conversation. And he started out by asking for something to drink. Now, just the fact that he spoke to her was almost taboo. Number one, she was a Samaritan. A lot of Jews didn't want to have anything to do with Samaritans. Number two, she was a woman. And so people didn't, didn't place women in high regard, and especially if they were a Samaritan. And he knew by her being there at noon that she was a woman of bad reputation. And then number three, they don't usually talk to him in public. There were some rabbis that were so strict that they would say that if you saw your mother, your daughter, or your sister in public, you were not supposed to speak to them. You weren't even supposed to talk to them on there. 
And then there are those, my favorite group, it was called the, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. The bruised and bleeding Pharisees were the ones who, when they would walk down the street and if a woman would come, they would close their eyes so that they wouldn't look at her and then they'd run into a building or something. And they said they were bruised and bleeding. I've shared this with you before. We don't have bruised and bleeding Pharisees. We have bruised and bleeding Baptists. And ours is just the opposite. Our Baptists be walking around and they'll see some girl go by and go, whoa, hey, hey, boom. Then they run into a building over here. But for them, it was, you're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to talk in public. And she's a Samaritan. She's a woman. And you're in public. And you're engaging in a conversation with her. This is way, way unexpected. And when you think about unexpected gospel presentations, there are a few things that we need to know. And the very first one is this. And that is unexpected gospel conversations cross racial and cultural barriers. Unexpected. Gospel conversations cross racial and cultural barriers. There was nothing unexpected about Jesus engaging in a conversation, but a gospel conversation with a Samaritan woman in public? See, others would have used these man-made racial and cultural barriers as an excuse not to say anything, much less to say something religious. So what Jesus is reminding us is that all people are created in the image of God, and that is, that is God's will that all people would be saved. And thus, we should not let any racial or cultural man-made barrier prevent us from being used by God to have unexpected gospel conversations no matter race, religion, color, creed, or sexual identity. We are to have these gospel conversations, and they will come unexpectedly. And so while sitting at a well, resting on a journey, and the Samaritan woman comes out of nowhere at noon, that's totally unexpected that someone would come there, and yet Jesus entered into a gospel conversation. We need to make certain that we will cross all racial, cultural barriers and to have those gospel conversations. So then he begins this gospel conversation. That's your second point, and that is unexpected gospel conversations have at least two things in every one of them. A unexpected gospel conversation should have first the truth of Scripture. There should be the truth of Scripture. That when you're getting into a gospel conversation, it's not your opinion, it's what God's Word has to say. But then there's the tone of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. The truth of Scripture, and then the tone of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And I want you to hold on to that. And as you write that down, I want you to keep that in your mind as you walk through this entire story and see how that plays such an important part of this. Truth of Scripture, but a tone of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. So he asked her for a drink. Verse 9, uh, she comes back and she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She was shocked that he would ask her for a drink. Well, then what Jesus does is he takes that water and begins to move it to a spiritual connotation. And Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Listen, I'm asking you for a drink. If you really know who I was, <laughs> you'd be coming to me and saying, hey, I want that living water. Now, that word living water is like a spring that's overflowing, okay, constantly moving. A well is like a cistern that is just, at times, could even be stagnant water. But this is a, a flowing water, constantly bubbling up, uh, regenerating, giving life. 
And he says, you would ask me for living water. And Jesus knew that it wasn't just the physical water she needed, but it was the spiritual water that she needed. And so she's sitting there looking at him, and her response is, is so right on. The woman said to him, sir, you've got nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So what it lets you know is that most times when people would travel, they would take a bucket with them. Now, oftentimes made out of, out of skins of beasts, and they would carry this, and when they'd get to a well, they would connect it to a rope or sometimes bring a rope, drop it down, pull the water up, and that's how they would get water. Well, apparently, the disciples took the bucket with them. Hello? <laughs> so Jesus made a check note on that when they got back, okay? Hey, don't leave me with no bucket. But apparently, he didn't have a bucket because she asked him that. She said, you don't have a bucket, now you're telling me you're going to give me this living water. How in the world are you going to give living water? You don't have a bucket to get down to the water that's sitting down here. How are you going to go below that and get to the spring of that water? And she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and he drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Well, now she's bowing up in pride, okay? You see, the Samaritans, uh, they loved the, like the first five books of the Old Testament. That was about it. And they loved Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob dug that well. And it was good enough for him, good enough for his family, good enough for his livestock, so why do you think you've got water that's any better? And some people, archaeologists, have said that that well could be 100 feet deep. So you need a long rope and a big bucket to get down there and get that water. You don't have any of those. So why do you think that you can give me something better than is here right now? Well, verse 13, Jesus gives her an answer. He said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He says, listen, this water you're getting out of here, it is temporary, and you're going to get thirsty again. It's what the things of this world have to offer us. If I could just get a little taste of this, a little taste of this, a little bit of satisfaction here, a little bit of satisfaction there. He said, but when you get that little satisfaction, it is not going to last. You need something that's going to last for eternity. And he's speaking of this inward water, this Holy Spirit of, of, of regeneration, this Holy Spirit of satisfaction that can come into your life. And he says, this is what I'm telling you about. He said, I'm telling you about a living water a living water that will regenerate you for eternity. And man, he's wanting her to be able to have this. But her response to him, after he tells her that, again, almost a natural response. In verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This sounds like a deal. So you're telling me that if you give me your water, I'll never be thirsty again, which what that means is I'll never have to pick up this big jar, lug it out here in the heat of the day, drop, it, drop down the bucket, fill it up with water, and go back. I don't have to face the embarrassment of always walking out of town at noon when no one else is going to water because of who I am and the things that I've done. That's exactly what I'd love to have is that water that would keep me from that. And so she's thinking about a physical water in the jars Jesus is talking about spiritual water in her heart. And so what Jesus does is he begins to say, okay, let me show you how you can get this water. And the first thing he did was he began to confront her sinful situation, just her life situation. And so he, his purpose is not to heap a bunch of guilt on her, but is to get her to admit and to recognize her sin and a need for a Savior. So he's not heaping guilt on her. She needs to come to a point where she needs more than just physical water. She needs spiritual water. 
So verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying no husband. You're correct. You told me the truth. I appreciate that. For you've had five husbands, and the one that you're now with is not your husband, or not your husband, uh, as Evelyn would say. And if you can kind of shake the head on there, it's not your husband on there. And, uh, and she said, well, yeah, I guess you know. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so, uh, so he said, um, so what you said is, is actually true. But, but your life is a shambles. I mean, there's been five relationships that have been messed up, and you're not in a good one right now. And so this sin that's in your life, this emptiness in your life, you keep drinking physical water, but nothing is meeting the need that's right there in your heart right now. So what I'd like to do is be able to give you this water, this living water that will help meet that particular need. Well, Jesus revealed to her, it wasn't just her sin, but he also revealed to her that he knows her. And you know, sometimes as, as young people, you read the Scripture, you say, well, that's easy. You could have gone on Facebook and, and learned that or uh, could have Googled her name and said, ooh, the five husbands uh, person. She didn't have a Facebook account, didn't have a, uh, a Twitter feed. Uh, you couldn't Google her. I mean, how would you have known? He just came to town. And so when she listened to what he had to say to her, she realized this is a prophet. This is a man of God. And so she comes back to him in verse 19, and the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Yeah. And then as soon as she perceives he's a prophet, she does the dance. She begins to dodge the issue and begin to bring up theological issues. This is so true today. Just when you're trying to get into some kind of gospel conversation to talk about a person's life, they get on the edge and they don't want to talk about it, don't want to face it. So I said, hey, we got these theological disputes. Uh, let me ask you about God. Did, did God make God? How did God come? What was it before? Was he always there? Uh, then they find some obscure passage and ask about that. And what Jesus does is he listens to this theology question, that she, theological question, and then he, then he deals with it. But look how he deals with it. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem, it's the place where people ought to worship. Samaritans and the Jews didn't like each other. Samaritans, they decided to build their temple on Mount Gerizim. And uh, Abraham had worshiped there, and that's good enough for them. But the Jews, with King Solomon, built theirs in Jerusalem. So they said, you worship in Jerusalem. And they said, we you worship over here at Mount Gerizim. Uh, the, some people, some Jewish people back in about 120-something B.C. came and destroyed that temple, so that didn't make them very happy. And uh, so uh, they continued to worship up there, but the animosity grew. And so she said, where are you supposed to worship? Well, Jesus comes back and kind of nips us in the bud because he said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. It doesn't matter where you worship. It doesn't matter this church, that church. It doesn't matter what the church looks like. He says, that's not going to be the issue. Here's the issue. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And he said, I just want to let you know, you keep thinking over here, all your thinking's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm telling you, someone greater is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Bible said it's coming from the tribe of Judah. It's coming from, the Jew, from Jews and from the tribe of Judah. So you just need to understand that. But then... He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, 
and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He said it's not about a location, it's about spirit and truth. Spirit, God is spirit. Every person has a spirit within them. And he says our spirit is to worship God's spirit. It's about our attitude. It's about giving worthiness to God. It reflects this this desire to know him. And so we worship in spirit, our spirit connecting with God's spirit. And when we do that, then we connect with the truth. And that means that our, our worship is to be in harmony with God about what is revealed about himself in the Bible and in the person of Jesus Christ. So what true worship is, is taking the truth of God's word and taking our spirits connecting with his spirits and this whole attitude is what is true worship. It didn't matter what mountain you were on. It didn't matter uh, which particular building you were sitting in. It's, it's deeper than that. And so he's telling her this and he's educating her on what true worship is. And, and he's kind of bringing her around to understand what this living water means and this relationship with God. And so As he says all this and says all true worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth and they will encounter the living God, (laughs) Her, her last defense is found in verse 25. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who's called Christ, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And what she said is, one day the Messiah is going to come and he's going to answer all those questions, okay? So she's trying to kind of put it down, I think we're done, You got your opinion, I got my opinion, but one day Messiah's gonna come, he's gonna straighten it all out. Well, she wasn't ready for this. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Which, if you put it in our language today, if you're looking forward to that conversation with the Messiah, you're really gonna enjoy the one we're having because I am the Messiah. Well, it caused a little bit of ripple in her life because now all of a sudden, all these questions that she's had The Messiah himself is standing right there, and the things that he has said are the things from God, and now all of a sudden, what is she going to do? Well, it says in verse 29 that she left her jar. Okay, the whole reason she came out there was put water in her jar. She left her jar, and she ran into town. And in verse 29, it's verse 28, it says, so the woman left her water jar, went away to town, and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. She was staggered by Christ's ability to look into her particular heart and to know her. And then she ran into town. Now, when she ran into town, it wasn't just what Jesus told her. It was how he responded to her in love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And this is how I know that, is that when she ran into town, she came before the people, and she said, I got to tell you something. There was a man who told me everything that I did. Everybody back there goes, ooh, that's a long list. That's a long list. We've had a lot of people talking about all the stuff that you've done. And she said, he told me everything that I did. Could this be the Christ? Now, I just got to be straight with you. If I was meeting with someone and they took a laundry list of everything I'd ever done wrong and they just beat me over the head with it, I would not rush back in town and say, hey, guys, y'all need to come out and listen. This guy's going to tell you all the bad stuff I've done. Not at all. The only reason she would have gone back in town is because when she came and talked to these people, she said, he told me everything that I have done, but yet there was a tone of love, there was acceptance, and there was forgiveness. And he has told me about this living water. And he's told me how my life can be different. And he's told me how there can be forgiveness and I can be a different person. And this is what he's told me. You guys need to hear this. 
That is why when we get into unexpected gospel conversations, we need to have the truth of Scripture in there, but the tone needs to be of love and acceptance and forgiveness. And, and then to do just as Jesus did with this woman. And he was gentle with her as he walked her through, but yet he was specific with what God's Word had to say, and he gave her truth. Does that make sense? And so the only way that she would have gone to them and then all these people rushed back out is because something has changed in her life just in that first meeting with him, and they wanted to come out and to see this. So let me give you the third point about unexpected gospel conversations. Unexpected gospel conversations require awareness and boldness. They require awareness and boldness. It's unexpected. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? They marveled. They were surprised that he was even talking with a woman, but they didn't say anything about it. But along the backside, they're going, I can't believe that. I can't believe he talked to Samaritan woman. I can't believe this is what he's doing. And so here's this question they've got as to why he would even talk to this woman. And so when I began to think about that, I said, well, that's probably why Jesus said, you guys go on in and leave me here by myself. Because... Um, if there's a group of you here, you'll probably cause more problem than good. I need you away so I can get into a one-on-one -on -one conversation with her. It took awareness that when a woman came to the well, there was an awareness that there was a need there, and then there was a boldness to be able to share that, to cross over any racial or cultural barriers, to go over any fear that you may have had, and have this awareness to be able to say, hey, I want to talk to you about something. I want to talk to you about living water. But there has to be that awareness and there has to be that boldness. And sometimes we're good at it and sometimes we're not. Um, you know, I was, um, uh, yesterday I did a, a long run, I still run, and, and after I did this long run, uh, the Holy Spirit put in my heart pizza. Uh, and so... You know, it's just, um, it's just as we were finishing those last couple of miles, you say, I know exactly where I'm going to go. I'm going to give them a call. Sure enough, I got in the car, gave a phone call. I said, hey, I'd like to pick up a pizza to go. I said, how long? He said, it'll be 20 minutes. I said, okay, 20 minutes. Got my clock, got it worked out fine. I drove over there, found a parking spot. I walked in. It was like 22 minutes. I was feeling good. Walked in, and uh, there was a line. There was a lot of people in there, but there was a line of people getting ready to order, and I caught the lady back there and said, hey, a pizza for wood. I ordered it, and uh, probably about ready. She said, okay, just a second. She went back there. She came back. She said, I gave him your name. I said, okay, good. So I waited 10 minutes for these people to finally order their pizza and pay. Then the guy comes up. Wood, yeah. Gave him my money. He looked me in the eye, and he said, it'll be another 10 minutes. Okay, what I figured out is they told me 20. I walked in. I've been waiting. I gave them my name. I waited 10. They'd never put my pizza in. And by the time I got to him, it was already 10 minutes in there, so now it's another 10 minutes. So that's a 20-minute pizza. It's now a 40-minute or coming up to 45 minutes. So I just sat. There's like three little chairs. I sat in this one chair waiting, and I was kind of stewing. And I've been thinking about this message where I've been thinking all this, uh, you know, be aware, be bold. And some guy stood up there, and he was ordering his pizza, and he sat down about right next to me. And I'm, mine's close to coming. And I remember thinking, you know, unexpected conversation right here at a pizza place. How cool would that be, unexpected conversation? But the other side of me said, 
I'm so chapped about this pizza not being ready. <laughs> this probably isn't the right time to do that. And so I went back and forth, went back and forth, and then, Wood, here's your pizza. I got my pizza, and I walked out. I didn't say a thing. And I sat there and said, you know, it would have been really easy just for a couple minutes. And you didn't have to have some corny line like, hey, I saw him forming the pizza back there like God formed us in the womb of the mother. You know that? You know, you didn't have to throw in some line like that or something. Uh, you know, and uh, hey, I, I didn't get pork on mine. You know, in the Old Testament, it says not to eat pork. So I, so I um, but it would have been so easy. I mean, just to get in a conversation. Who knows what could have happened in a short conversation? And to give you an idea, I got an email from a church member last week. Let me just read what they said. They said, this past Sunday night, the Holy Spirit led me to a gas station where he showed me that I would be purchasing something for someone. When I arrived, as I was walking to the front door, there was a man in his mid-50s, middle-class gentleman. He opens the door, he looks around, and he sees no one except me walking toward him. And so he asked me for some change to buy a Mountain Dew, but I insisted on buying it for him. And now right there, you could have reached in your pocket, given him some money, and then moved on, done what you did. But he did. He says, so I get into a conversation with him. I tell him how God led me to him, and after purchasing the drink, he shares with me how God has been calling him to something, but he keeps telling God, wait, let's just wait, and then I'll do it. He says he just wants to be prepared before then. So I then encouraged him with a few words, including how God will equip him, just be obedient. And I then prayed with him, and he left encouraged, ready to be obedient to God's calling. Afterwards, I purchased something myself, and standing before the cashier who had witnessed the whole uh, interaction, she said, it's crazy how God works in such unexpected ways. <laughs> I said, whoa, like, like that phrase. <laughs> It's crazy how God works in such unexpected ways. It's just awareness and boldness. It's just those unexpected gospel conversations. There was nothing great theology that took place during that. It was just one person talking to another person who needed a word from someone, who God was prepared, and they were preparing you, and then you were obedient to it. And, and what's interesting is because it did something for that person's life, but it probably also did something for that cashier's life because they probably went home and told either their spouse or their roommate or their friend. They said, you know, most unexpected thing happened today. And then all of a sudden, you can begin to see how this happens, okay? And that's the last point, and that is unexpected gospel conversations lead to unforeseen results. Unexpected gospel conversations lead to unforeseen results, who would have ever seen this happen? A Samaritan woman at noon goes to get water. She meets a person named Jesus. She leaves her water jar. She runs back to town. And for the first time ever in her life, she's having a spiritual conversation with the people in their town. And then the people in their town leave what they're doing and they come out to where Jesus is. And as they come out to where Jesus is, as soon as they get there with him, he begins to talk to them. And then they make decisions for Christ. It says in verse 39 that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And because she shared that testimony, a lot of people came to know him. And then they said, will you stay with us? And so for two days, he stayed in Samaria. 
they don't even like to walk through Samaria. Now all of a sudden, he's got them spending the night in Samaria, eating meals in Samaria, fellowshipping with Samaritans. And for two days, that's where they are. And as they're doing that, it talks about in verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. There were unforeseen results because of that one encounter. I just got to believe that when it's all done, and we're waving goodbye to the Samaritans, and we're walking to Galilee, that Jesus has a teaching moment with his disciples. Okay, guys, let's stop here for just a second. You got to be real honest with me. If you were at the well by yourself, and this woman came up, how many of you would have talked to her and, and engaged in a gospel conversation? Please raise your hand. And if you lie, I can strike you down. Are you ready? <laughs> how many of you? I'd say zero. None of them would have. They were the ones that were so surprised they even talked to him. And then his next response would be, and because you didn't or wouldn't, you would have never seen these results. You see all these people that came to faith in Christ, and it started with one conversation. It wasn't the fact of who Jesus was. It was the fact of what Jesus did. And he was aware of a need, and he was bold, and he spoke up, and there it was. You see, you and me, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the only Jesus that people will see. And so the next time we come to an unexpected location, we need to look for those unexpected gospel opportunities because you have no idea where it will go. Don't you love the baptism? How about Eli? I mean, when he's in second grade, he's in second grade, they go to church on a Sunday morning, they come to school on a Monday, and somebody in second grade initiated a gospel conversation. Second grade. And then the other guys start talking about it, and they talk about what happened in church, and, and they begin to talk a little bit about the gospel, and all of a sudden, Eli goes home, and he comes before his mom, and he says, I'm under conviction of sin. I, I want to know this Jesus. I'm ready to make a decision for Christ. Who'd have guessed that? It was an unexpected gospel conversation in a second grade school. It wasn't led by teachers. It wasn't organized. It was just a couple of kids started talking on there. And it led to some unforeseen results. There are going to be opportunities for you to be placed in an unexpected place for you to start an unexpected gospel conversation. For sometimes, you will be the first person that will ever sow a seed in somebody's life. Some situations could be that people have sown into their lives and you're just pouring some water on the seed. Or, you might be the person that gets to reap the harvest. That that person has heard a number of people share, and when they cross their path with you, you come up with this unexpected gospel conversation, and they look at you and say, you know what? I've, I've had a question. You could be the one that could answer that question. They could pray and receive Christ right there. But it'll never happen if we never get involved in these unexpected gospel conversations. It's kind of like balls in your court. What will you do with the unexpected gospel conversation. I, um, uh, I've shared this story, I, maybe it was 10 years ago, when I had shared it, of, uh, you know, sometimes I don't get it right, sometimes I do. And this is one of the times when I got it right. And uh, 2001, uh, coming back from our mission trip in Venezuela, as we came back from our mission trip in Venezuela, it was uh, medical missions and also sharing the gospel. 
We got on the airplane from Maracaibo, Venezuela to fly to Miami, and then from Miami we were heading to Birmingham. I sat down, there was a lady next to me, and she was on the phone speaking in Spanish. And as soon as she finished her, her phone conversation, uh, I just introduced myself. And I said, hey, my name's uh, Danny Goodsee. She said, oh, my name's Soriyama. And I said, oh, good, you, you speak English? And she says, yeah. So where are you going? She said, I'm going to New York City, going to be with a friend. I said, oh, that's great. That's great. And uh, she said, and where have you come from? I said, well, uh, Maracaibo. She said, well, that's where I'm from. I'm, originally, I'm from Maracaibo. What were you all doing? We said, well, we're doing a, a medical and missions thing over there. She says, oh, you're a doctor. I said, yeah, but not the kind that can help you. Uh, but um, uh, I said, but yeah, we were doing some, some work over there. And, and uh, she said, you know, um, so you're a pastor. I said, yeah. She says, you know, I, I was at uh, Idlewild Baptist Church in Tampa, Florida for one month. I was there um, uh, living for a little bit. And I went to that, that church, and they were so nice. And, uh, and I love the way that the pastor in the church talked about uh, the built of relationships with you. And uh, I just really liked that. Kind of the clear blue. I just said, well, did you know that, that, that God desires to build a relationship with you? And she says, no, I didn't know that. I said, would you like to know? She said, yeah. So took out a sheet of paper and uh, I had a Bible with me that was Spanish and English that they had given us. And so we'd turn it up, and I just did John three sixteen. You know, for God so loves the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I said, you could take the word world and put your name in there. God so loved Soriyama that he died for you on that. Said, oh, yeah. And I said, but the reason he did that, we have to go back to Romans uh, 3.23, that uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I just did a bridge illustration. And, uh, and I drew, uh, you know, her over here, and I put God over here, and I said uh, that it says that the wages of sin is death. That means separation. So I just kind of wrote sin and death and showed that it separated them over here. And, um, and I said, uh, you're familiar with the bridge in Maracaibo? I said, oh, yeah, huge bridge over there. And I said, well, what I'm thinking about is that river that it spans, if you stood on this side of the river and you tried in your best efforts to run and jump to get to this side, could you do that? And she laughed and no, no. I said, no, nah, you just get wet. She said, yeah, yeah. I said, well, that's kind of like what your life is, is that when you're trying to just be as good as you can to try to get to God, it's about as fruitless as jumping uh, to try to get to the other side. All of a sudden, her whole face comes down, and she says, really? So you're telling me that all this good stuff that I'm trying to do, it's not going to get me to God? I said, no, no, it's not on there. I said, but I do have good news for you. And that is, we turned over in the Bible, I said, Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrated his love for us. Remember we talked about Jesus loves you? Yes, yeah, yeah, that God loves you. He demonstrated his love for you, and that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And so I went over and I drew a cross and made it like a bridge over there. And, uh, and I said, what he did was that sin, remember I said the wages of sin is death? He died on that cross. And then he raised from the dead. And when he did, and I took sin, I scratched it out. I took death, I scratched it out. I said, he took care of both of those. He took care of sin, he took care of death. He put all of your sins on him. And then before I even drew it on there, I had told her, I said, if you're on this end of the river, this end of that river, and then you're all over here, uh, or lake, excuse me, this end of the lake and that end of the lake, if I gave you some building blocks, what would you say? I'd build that bridge just like that Maracaibo bridge. I said, that's exactly what God has done. He's built that bridge for you. And it's right there. She says, really? I said, yes. And I said, you can stand here all day and just admire that bridge, and you're still lost 
Or you can walk across that bridge and come and be in the family of God. He said, really? He says, yeah. He says, well, how do you do that? And I turned to Romans 10, 9, and 10, and as soon as I turned to Romans 10, 9, and 10, the pilot came over and started giving detailed instructions of us preparing to land in Miami. It was loud. It was all muffled, and, and he thought he was a comedian. He was telling all this stuff and what's going on in the weather and the flights and what's happening here and there, and he just droned on and on. And I'm sitting there next to her, and she's ready for the answer. It was so loud, we couldn't hear each other think. So I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and he finally finished. And you know what's next, don't you? Now he's got to do it in Spanish. Uh, and so he's got to take that same stick he's got and he do his Spanish thing over there. As soon as he took a breath and was getting ready to Spanish, she looked at me and she said, I sure wish he'd hurry up. I'd love to know how to get across that bridge. <laughs> and I said, me too. And so we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And finally he finishes. And so we look there at, uh, at that passage, and in Romans 10, 9 and 10, and it says, you know, you, you've got to believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, and if you do that, then, uh, then he will come into your life. And uh, I said, would you like to do that right now? Because in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and that can happen to you right now if you want to cross that bridge. He said, yes, I'd like to. And so right there, sitting on that airplane, as we're getting ready to come down and, and to land in Miami, we prayed, and I prayed with her, and, uh, and, and she followed. It wasn't even magical about the words. It was more of her heart, and as she prayed, as soon as she said amen, you know, I looked at her, and I said, man, Jesus is coming to your heart. You know, you're a new person. You're a believer on there. And, uh, and there was just a smile across her face, and all of a sudden, they said, buckle up your seatbelts. We're getting ready to land, and, uh, and she looked at me, and she says, do you believe in miracles? I said, what do you mean? I said, yeah. She says, it was a miracle that you sat next to me today. And I want to thank you. So I went one further. I said, you want me to tell you even a bigger miracle? I said, 15 minutes ago, you were dark in the dark. Now you're in the light. 15 minutes ago, you were lost, and now you're found. 15 minutes ago, you were without God. Now you're part of God's family. I said, I think that's pretty cool. She says, I do too. I'm fired up about it. And we landed. Our team sitting behind us heard me share, and they began to spread the word, and people began to pray for us. And what happened is we got off the airplane. The team got off first, and they lined up along that gangplank, and they, and they made two rows, made a big row. And as she came out the door, they all applauded her. <laughs> and she just was fired up, and they welcomed her into the family of God on there. That was incredible. It was an unexpected conversation. And I'd love to tell you that it happens every week, but it doesn't. And it's only because I don't take advantage of those unexpected conversations. But it's there for every one of us, folks. Those unexpected conversations where you have an opportunity to give an unexpected gospel conversation to someone and you have no idea what the results will be once you've shared that. Let's take Jesus' example. And when we find ourselves in some unexpected places, let's be aware and be bold to share an unexpected gospel conversation. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word, and we're thankful for not only what Jesus has taught us, but also what he has shown us. And uh, may you encourage us to have those unexpected gospel conversations, just to have our antennas up, to be aware of what's going around us, 
And now that we've heard this message, that we would go out here and we would be more willing to enter into those gospel conversations and to help people to go from death to life and from darkness to light and to help lead people to the point to where they become a part of your family. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.